Well, communion, that, that moment of quiet introspection where we remember what Jesus did for us and we proclaim his death, where we answer that question that he asked those first disciples, who do you say I am? We're going to move from that moment into our scripture series that we're going through, the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to give you a bit of a warning this morning because I'm going to be on high amp mode. We're going to cover a whole bunch of ground today. If you have your Bibles, uh, make sure that they're already open to Hebrews chapter 11. Make sure that your fingers are ready to flip the pages because we're going to go pretty fast. We're tearing off a really big chunk of scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 40. That's like a quarter of the sermon today is going to be just really reading scripture to you guys, all right? And there's a reason why I've done that, and I think that'll become more clear to you um, as we go through uh, the whole faith chapter, pretty much, uh, in a half-hour sermon, okay? So are you ready? Let's go. Okay, dogs and cats, and, and other pets too, I guess, for those of you that are like snake people or something, I don't know. There are lots of memes on the internet right now about dogs and cats, right? Your Facebook is full of them. People in quarantine with nothing better to do than to dress up Skippy in a Baby Yoda costume and post his picture on Facebook, right? Dogs and cats. And you know what? This week I was looking at at our dog, he's a miniature poodle named Bear, not much of a dog, I know, but hey. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, you know, that crazy little dog has no idea that there's a global panic on right now. That, that crazy little dog is completely oblivious to the pandemic that is freaking out human beings, okay? He's a putz. He's just clueless, okay? And, and I grew up on a farm. And so I have a little bit of that attitude about pets in general. I must confess, pets are fine, don't get me wrong, and everybody should have maybe one or two pets. But you simply don't spend thousands of dollars every time Skippy has a sniffle. You just don't. There are cheaper solutions to that. So I can be a little hard-hearted when it comes to pets. And, I, and I, of course, I say that knowing that this week you are going to flood my inbox with pictures of your adorable little Flopsy and I'm going to have to pretend like I care about your pets, okay? But consider this. The average Canadian spends $600 a year on our pets. There are 8.2 million cats in Canada, which is 8.2 million too many, and there are 8.3 million dogs. So if you do the math on that, that is $8 billion a year that Canadians spend on just dogs and cats. It doesn't even add in all the hamsters that are out there. $8 billion a year on our pets. That's a lot of cash. Now, according to Compassion Canada, it costs you about $41 a month to sponsor a child. You do the math on that, that's about $500 a year for a child. $600 a year for your pet. $500 a year for a child. Isn't that crazy? I'm not saying you shouldn't have pets, but I am saying maybe instead of nine pets and one compassion child, maybe you should think about having nine compassion children, and one pet. What's even more difficult to swallow than the amount of money that we spend on our pets is how many of us, human beings, 
are simply content to live out our lives like cats and dogs. Like we're animals. Just think about it for a moment. I want to have just enough to eat. I want to have a warm place to sleep, a roof over my head. I want to get a little exercise. I want someone occasionally to rub my belly, and that's pretty much it. I just hope that repeats itself over and over again until I die, until I get old. And, and when I start to get old, I'm just hoping that there's going to be enough painkillers, or I can go to the hospital, and the doctor will keep me comfortable until it's my time to go. Or maybe I can just go to a vet, and the vet will give me a shot and put me to sleep and pat me on the head. Like, that's it. I just want to live until I die. Thank you much, Clay Walker, for yet another dumb country song. I just want to live until I die. I just want to live the life that my dog lives. I just want to be, I'm just a random collection of cells and DNA that has no eternal purpose. And so if I don't have any purpose in life and it all ends when I die, then, then all I really want is to be reasonably happy and reasonably comfortable for however long I might happen to have, okay? That's how so many of us think. We live our lives like well-trained dogs. That's not what the Bible teaches. Listen to what Hebrews 11.1 says. Faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. And it is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Faith is what makes a difference. See, that's been part of the message of Hebrews right from the beginning as we've been going through Hebrews from January that Jesus came to this earth to show us a better way to live than to simply live like a cat or a dog. Jesus is, is better and he's pointing us to better and deeper things. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the tabernacle. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. And a life of following Jesus is the only way to live this human life that we've been given with a meaning and a purpose that transcends this life. You are not just an evolutionary accident. You are a creation of the most high God. He formed you in love. He's on your side. He has plans for your life. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Yes, Dusty, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And so over and over again in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews cautions us that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, need to think about our lives just a little differently than the world around us. And even the religion that the Hebrew people used to practice, all the external trappings of tabernacle and priest and sacrificial lamb, all of these things, all of it is pointing towards something greater, towards someone greater. It is all just a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Everything that the Jewish people believed and practiced for thousands of years before Jesus came along was all leading up to and culminating in Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Because us humans are so tied to the material aspect of life, right? We are so caught up in what we eat and what we drink we are so tied to the baubles and the trinkets that make our lives happy, that, that give us moments of pleasure. We are taught that science is God and that only the things that you can measure, only the things that you can uh, feel and touch and taste, the experiments that you can duplicate in a laboratory, that's real. 
And all the rest of this ephemeral stuff is not real. That's what we're taught. That's what we're taught. Listen to me. You are not just a physical body. You are so much more than just a random assembling of carbon and oxygen and nitrogen and calcium. But you are not just a physical body who happens to have a spiritual component to you. No, no. The true reality is that you are a spiritual being that has a physical body. In Genesis chapter 1, when God creates humans, it says that he takes and he forms them from the dust. And then he breathes his life into them. The breath of God. That's what you are. At the heart of it all, you are a spiritual being with a physical body. But that physicality, it it just attracts us and it draws us. It's so real and tangible and measurable. We can bang our hands on a pulpit and we know that that's, that's, that's real, right? And, and so we, we find it so hard to see past our own material existence. We act like dogs running around in circles chasing our own tails. And all that tangible stuff of the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle and, and the, the lambs that they sacrificed and, and, and the grain offerings that they brought and all the rules that they followed, all of that tangible things. And over and over again, the writer of the book of the Hebrews is going, no, 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 no. Jesus is better than all of that. All of that tangible stuff was just leading up to and culminating in Jesus. You see, the tangible things, they're actually the shadow. And the true reality is the spiritual reality. You see how he flips it on us? Like, like, like Jesus is the real thing and everything else is just a shadow. It's just a mist, vapor, vanity. This intangible thing that's called faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, that's the reality. And the tangible things like priests and temples and sacrifices, it's not real. It's not real. Jesus is the real deal. So follow him. Don't go back to the shadow. Don't live this life like a cat. And so then we get to Hebrews chapter 11, and there's this madcap running list of men and women who lived this truth, who understood this truth and put it into practice in their lives. Men and women who refused to live like animals, who put their belief in something better, something deeper, who went chasing after something other than cars, okay? Who looked for treasure that was more than just a bone to bury in the backyard. People who chased a reality beyond this shadowland of existence. People who followed a God who moved in future things and invisible things. Faith is the true substance, the true evidence, the true witness. Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3, and everything else is just a dream and a vapor chasing after the wind. So let's go through Hebrews chapter 11. And we're gonna watch faith in Jesus being lived out in the lives of ordinary men and women who believed in an extraordinary God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith... Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without even knowing where he was going. 
Verse 9, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. He was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and so did Jacob who inherited that same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Verse 11, by faith even Sarah was able to have a child though she was barren and old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. Now we sing that song, right? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. And it just just struck me this week how Abraham had no idea that a nation was coming. He didn't experience it. He simply believed it. During his lifetime, he had two kids. And it also struck me this week that Abraham left everything material. He gave up physical wealth. He was a wealthy man in the Ur of the Chaldees, right? And he, he, he left his home in order to follow a God who simply said to him, hey, let's go to another place and I'll, when we get there, I'll show you where it is. It's just, it's, he's not placing his trust in real, tangible, material things. He's following God, the true reality. And I love that line in our Bibles. This man was as good as dead. (laughs) You see, some people don't think that Abraham having a kid at 100 years old is a big deal because, hey, like all those Old Testament people lived a real long time, right? I mean, last week, Pastor Nicky even talked about it. Adam lived to be 930 years old. So in that way, 100 years old is, is really not that old, right? That's pretty young. But no, that's not what it says. It says Abraham's as good as dead. That's old, man. Like I feel that sometimes in the morning as good as dead right where's my coffee when you're looking out your tent at the night sky and you're going to yourself okay lord any moment now i'm i'm ready to go i mean that's old he's as good as dead and he's not counting on physical things okay he's just not placing his trust in 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 eggs and sperm and natural human reproduction. That's not what's going on here. This is faith. Abraham and Sarah are living by faith in Jesus. They've exchanged material reality for true reality. Now verse 13 gets a little bit tough and I don't want you to miss it. We're actually going to unpack it a little later in the sermon, okay? Verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. And they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Strangers and aliens. My friend, we are pilgrims passing through. Do not get comfortable in this life. Remember last week we talked about dissatisfaction. We talked about how faith is never entirely comfortable with this life because faith knows there's something more. There's something deeper. It's looking ahead. It's discontentment. 
Let's keep going. Verse 14. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. Because if they had longed for the country they came from, they can always go back to it. Verse 16. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that's why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Now that, that there's a deliberate illusion, right? You can't miss that. You don't have to scratch your head too hard to read that passage and think about another father who had to sacrifice his only son who died and came to life again, right? And the Abraham and Isaac story is a picture and it's a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is right there in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Let's read on. Jacob and Joseph, verse 20. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Now that is just incredible, right? Because when you think about the story of Joseph, you're thinking about a man who from the earliest part of his life had a faith. Joseph was the dreamer and God spoke to him in faith and Joseph followed God and, and continued to, to choose the things of God even though it cost him everything. He spent years in jail, right? You think about all the ways that Joseph exercises faith and the writer of Hebrews says, no, no, the, the, the real moment of his faith was at the end of his life when he says, dudes, we're in Egypt right now, and like I'm second in command in Egypt, and we got it pretty good here, but we're not staying here. There's a promised land for us. And yeah, I know, it's still like three centuries away, but listen, take my bones with you when you leave, okay? I don't want to be buried here in Egypt. I am a daddy, not a mommy. Sorry. Don't want to be buried in the pyramids. The sphinx stinks. Take my bones when you go. I love that. Faith, just complete trust in a promise that he was actually never going to see himself. Verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, probably written by the parents, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Man, if you're a young person, that's a Bible verse for you. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's, that's profound. You see how all of these people are giving up all the physical and material blessings that are available in this life in order to go chasing after God and to have riches in the next life. They're living in the light 
of eternity, not content with the prosperity of the shadow lands, but faith in a future reality, faith in an invisible reality, faith in Jesus, who was still centuries from coming. Faith in Jesus because Jesus is better. Now look at it in verse 26. It's going to get explicit. Moses thought that it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own Egypt's treasures. Moses suffered for the sake of Christ. He was looking ahead to his great reward. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith, verse 28, that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. By faith. Now, 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 some of you are laughing at me because last week I got a little emotional about Abel, didn't I? I got a little passionate, okay? I, it really bugs me sometimes the way that people misinterpret Abel. Abel's sacrifice was better, not because it was a blood sacrifice, but because of his faith. All right, and I just wanted to hit that home last week, but it's the same thing here in the Exodus, the same way those people escaped that terrible tenth plague, the death of their firstborn son, and it was not because of the blood of lambs sprinkled on their doorposts. That's not what the Bible says. It's by faith. By faith in the promises of God and the instructions of Moses. We're going to trust and believe that this is going to save us. And so we're going to do this. And that led to obedience. That led to the sprinkled blood. Yes, but it was not the blood that saved them. It was the faith. Verse 29, it was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea. As though they were walking on dry ground. And when the Egyptians tried to follow them, they all drowned. Verse 30, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. I love the story of Joshua. Can you imagine going into the, the, the presence of the Lord, the angel of the Lord's army, and the angel of the Lord's army says, okay, so here's how we're going to win this battle. You're going to march around, 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 around the city, and, and then you're going to yell real loud and it's going to fall down. And Joshua's like, okay. And then he's got to go out and explain it to all the people. Here's how we're going to win the battle, right? No. Okay. I've messed up, Dave, because I just threw that in there. Verse 31. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab the prostitute from Jericho. That's why I know that God is such a God of love, that God is not uh, offended by our sins and that all who come to him receive forgiveness because God takes Rahab, the former prostitute, and he makes her the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus. Rahab, the former prostitute, not even part of God's people, and she becomes one of the ancestors 
of the Son of God. There's so many great stories here in this chapter, chapter 11. I could have had a 20-part series on Hebrews 11 alone. We could have gone through it week by week, one person at a time, one story at a time. But you need to stick with me here, okay? Because I think that the writer is doing something really important in this chapter just by running through these things so fast, picking up these people and mentioning them and then moving on. So let's keep moving on ourselves. Let's keep rolling. Verse 32, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of their sword. Their weaknesses were turned into strength. They became strong in battle. They put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from death. Okay, let's take a moment right here. Because here is where I really think it's going to start getting real for you. You see, you really have to read Hebrews chapter 11 in light of the entire book of Hebrews. You can't just pluck the the chapter of faith out of the book and, and pretend that it doesn't have a context. You have to see this chapter in light of the message of the entire book. And what is the entire book about? What have we been saying to you over and over again until you're so sick of it, you can basically repeat it in your sleep? The message of the book of Hebrews is three words. Jesus is better. Is better. Over and over again, the writer of Hebrews is telling us Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. Better than all the old religious trappings of tabernacle and priest and sacrifice. Jesus is better than all of it. And, and now the writer of Hebrews is just firing off this list of names. These people throughout the centuries who've had this amazing faith who inspire us. But here's what I think you need to know for today. It is not the faith that matters. You see, all of us have faith. Like we have trust in all sorts of different things. We trust our bank accounts. We have faith that that money is going to be there when we retire. We trust our spouse. We have faith, hopefully, that they're not going to do something stupid and leave us, even if we do something stupid like not rake the yard. Sorry, Elaine. We all have faith, but the whole point is that there's a special kind of faith. You see, what matters about faith is the object. Every time you read faith in Hebrews 11, you have to say faith in Jesus. It's not the faith by itself that matters. It's what these people have placed their faith in. Last week, we talked about what faith is. We, we looked and we said faith has a few elements to it. Last week, we said, first of all, faith is a gift from God. It's not a work that you do. Second, faith is born in dissatisfaction. This world is not enough for me, and I don't want to live this life like a dog or a cat. I want something more. Faith is that something more that leads us to something more. And so we said that third last week, we pray 
pressed into God. We will put our trust and our faith and our belief in the finished work of God. And the finished work of God was finished through Jesus Christ. Jesus died and rose again. His last words, it is finished. Nothing more needs to be added to our salvation. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe Right? And so we saw that faith is simply trusting and obeying in Jesus, in what Jesus has done for us, just following Jesus. Continuing to trust in God and follow Jesus even when the storm hits. Continuing to trust in God and follow Jesus every moment of our lives. Trusting in God and following Jesus even in the death that is coming for all of us, should the Lord tarry. Right? That's what faith is. It's a faith in Jesus. And now the writer's saying all these people who lived by faith, who lived by faith in God, who lived in dissatisfaction in this life, Abe refusing the, the temptations of home and family in order to move, Moses refusing wealth and power in the Egyptian court, Joseph refusing Egypt, um, you and I refusing Saskatchewan, all of them looking to Jesus, all of them by their faith in God actually exercising faith in Jesus. Even though for them, he was hundreds of years in the future. Let's jump down to verse 39. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received what God had promised. Verse 40, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Do you see it there? All these people who lived before Jesus were anticipating Jesus. And all of us who live after Jesus, the Hebrew people in the first century, the first Christians, Bridgeway Community Church in Saskatchewan in 2020, those of us who live after Jesus, who've trusted in the incarnation of God, who know about the cross and the grave, who understand salvation by grace and faith in Jesus Christ, us. Your faith is the vindication of Abraham's faith. Your trust in Jesus is what proves the reality and the veracity of Moses' trust in Jesus. Your belief today, your life of obedience today, your following Jesus today, this is what is completing the story and moving the story forward of people like Gideon and Barak and, and David and Samuel in you. God is continuing to tell the story of Jesus just like God told the story of Jesus through Daniel. He told the story of of Jesus through Elijah. God told the story of Jesus through Jonah. God told the story of Jesus through Habakkuk. You are not the hero of your story. You're not the main character in the novel of your life. Jesus is. And that's why when we get to Hebrews 12 next week, that it's going to tell us that, that we need to continue the story of these men and women of old like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their story isn't finished yet because you and I take that story and we move it forward. We need to keep that story going because it's God's story. And the way that we do that, 
Hebrews 12, verse 2. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The way we move the story of God forward is we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. So last week, we looked at what faith is. And this week, we've been talking about what faith does. Faith with sandals on. So, so I'm going to just summarize everything that I've been saying up until now. Uh, if you have this on video, you might want to pause. If you like to write notes down, you can write these. I'm just going to give them to you really quickly right here. This is essentially what the whole chapter has been about. Faith is an absolute trust in Jesus. Number one, faith is an absolute trust in Jesus that anticipates Jesus working. He's at work in our lives. He's at work in our world, and we anticipate that, and we look for it. Number two, faith is an absolute trust in Jesus that moves when Jesus moves. Faith is not a static thing because our God is not a static God. He's always on the move. In fact, even in the Old Testament, when it talks about the Spirit of God, it uses the term ruach adonai, the breath of God. What is breath? It is simply air that is moving. So it moves when Jesus moves. If Jesus is moving, don't stay where you are. Move with them. That's faith. And then faith is an absolute trust in Jesus, number three, that refuses to follow anything else. I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what, though none go with me. Like Abraham, refusing to be enticed by the idol of family, by Ur of the Chaldees. Like Moses, refusing to be enticed by wealth or power like Joseph refusing to think of Egypt as our home. You might need to pause the recording to write that down if you like to write things down. Faith is an absolute trust in Jesus that anticipates Jesus working. Not my will, but his be done. Faith is an absolute trust in Jesus that moves when Jesus is moving, that moves with him. And then faith is an absolute trust in Jesus that refuses to follow anything else. Everything else is material reality. It's just shadow. Jesus is the true spiritual reality. Now here's where we apply this, and I'm going to warn you it's going to get a little tough, because I want to pull you back to the verses that we just skipped, verse 35 to 38. See, because it takes a turn in these verses, and we have to note it. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went around wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. These people, we don't even know their names. 
God does. They had no success in life, no outward signs that their faith was vindicated, but they too lived by faith in Jesus Christ. And I got to say this, we have had some really terrible preaching here in North America We have had men and women who said that they were speaking God's word who stood up and told us lies. And we have lived in absolute wealth and luxury for so long that we can't hardly imagine a different reality than the luxury that we live in as Western Christians. And it's hard for us to even think that this morning as we gather in relative safety and comfort in our homes that right now somewhere on our our planet, there is a young man of God who's in a prison because of his faith, and he's scraping together sawdust to mix it in with his bread so his bread will last longer. We've all been sucked in by the promise that we can live our best lives now on this side of eternity, and it is a lie. Even back in verse 13, it says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They didn't receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads living here on earth. Please understand that. Abraham gave up a home in order to live in a tent. God promised him a city, but he lived his entire life in a tent by faith. So let me ask you this. What if God's plan for your life his hardship. What if God, as he's writing his story, and you are simply one little sentence in that story, what if your sentence is prison? What if God asks you to carry the yoke, to endure the shame, to face persecution? What if your faith means that you get killed with the sword? Are you going to be okay with that? Are you going to be one who sings from the shackles? A number of years ago, I watched a documentary on the Christian's in Africa, in Ethiopia, who lived during the terrible atrocities of Idi Amin. These Christians, these Christians with a faith so much greater than mine, brothers and sisters with arms missing and legs missing, and at the end of the documentary, they were singing a song. Some through the fire, some through the blood, some through great trial, and all through the blood.
your faith in Jesus might mean persecution. Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to follow him? Who do you say that he is? Faith in Jesus anticipates Jesus' work. Faith in Jesus moves when Jesus moves. Faith in Jesus perseveres, refusing to follow anything else but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, Daniel, you, me. It's our turn. It's our turn to tell God's story. It is our turn to faithfully follow Jesus. Right here, today, it's our turn. Right now, God is writing his story in your life by faith. And it's your turn. Right now, he's asking you that question who do you say I am? Right now, it's our turn. Go. Once, when Jesus was praying in private with his disciples, his best friends, he asked them, who do the crowds of people say that I am? And they replied to Jesus, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say prophets of old. But Jesus asked his friends, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter said, the Christ, which means the Messiah, the Christ of God. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross. He must follow me. He must follow me. Moses followed. Joshua followed. Rahab followed. Daniel followed. Who did they say Jesus was? They never met him. They never sat around the dinner table with him, shared bread, shared wine. Peter did, but the Old Testament heroes never did. Who did they say Jesus was? You can tell by the way they followed. Do you know why most people, when they share their testimony, it doesn't start and end with, when I was five, I believed in Jesus. Thank you for letting me share my testimony. Because your relationship with God is the way you follow. It's the story of you following. Who do you say that Jesus is? 
It'll be revealed through the way that you follow. You can claim that he's Christ. You can claim that he's Savior. You can claim that he's Messiah. You can claim right now that he's your king. You can claim those things. But when life gets hard and you walk away, the truth comes out. It's how we follow. And what I see is I see a church that is passionately following. I see people in our church right now who are loving one another, encouraging one another, messaging one another, taking care of each other, serving each other, following. So I don't need to ask you right now, who do you say that he is? I can see it. Do you see it? And for some of us, it's a challenge. We're thinking, oh boy, looking at my life, I have to start following. If anyone would come after me, he must follow. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning I choose to follow. I choose to follow, and I know that your love for me isn't based on how well I do today. And Lord, I know that it's so easy for this world to look at me as a Christian and think Darren must have his life together. And as a Christian, Darren has to have his life together. That's what God wants. God wants Darren to be a good person. And if he's able to be a good person, he's achieved it. That's not the point at all. Lord, I just choose to follow. And I'm going to make mistakes all along the way. I just hope that one day when people look back and they tell my story, they just say, he followed. Do you remember Darren? And they're not going to remember how kind he was, how good he was, the things that he said, the money he had, the place that he lived. They're not going to remember that. I, I hope that when people look back, they say, I remember Darren. He followed. He followed. And people say, what, what were his thoughts on God? What were his thoughts on Jesus? They'll say, you could tell by the way he followed. Lord, would you make Bridgeway a church family that follows Would you make us, Lord, grandpas and grandmas who follow you, moms and dads who follow you, Lord, young people who follow you, adults, kids, Lord, who follow you, teenagers who follow you, workers who follow you, believers that follow you. Lord Jesus, would that be the badge of honor that we wear, that when people see us as ambassadors, they see the way that we follow So Lord, I pray that you join with us in the journey, that your Holy Spirit would be the power that enables us to live in this divine nature, to live this godly life. And Lord, that if you would allow us to be this light that shines on a hill, would the deeds of our lives bring glory to you in heaven? Would this world see you as they watch us follow? Would that be the story of my life? Would that be the story of our lives? Lord, take care of our church until the next time we meet. We love you. That's why we're here. Amen. God bless.